Hi guys, Catherine here. I am still recording from my bedroom closet, but now that Boston is starting to reopen, we thought it was as good a time as any to start a new season. So I still really miss Molly and can't wait to be back in the studio with her. And of course, we are all somewhat apprehensive um, about this next phase of entering the new normal, but we're also really excited and really optimistic uh, and happy that Boston restaurants are starting to reopen. So we will still be talking to chefs and restaurant owners um, and getting their take on everything that's happening and hearing reports from their restaurants, and I hope that you'll join us. On today's episode, I'm going to chat with Evan Harrison, who is a partner at Mamala's and Cafe Dupay and State Park. But these days, Cafe Dupay is actually Vincent's Grocery, which is a local grocery store that's also doing really yummy uh, food service, um, some beer and wine. And beyond just this interesting pandemic pivot, I want to chat with him about being a new father. Him and his wife, Heather, welcomed their first child uh, just a few months before the pandemic hit, and they are navigating life as a family uh, in the restaurant business. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit about Life Alive. There are several locations now, but I have been going to the Cambridge location for many years. They were kind of the OG grain bowl smoothie place in the Boston area. And I just love anything with their Nama Shoyu sauce, including the Adventure Bowl or any of their tasty smoothies or juices. And the good news is they're now offering meal plans to help us eat a little bit healthier during quarantine and stay well. And for TFL listeners, you can get 15% off any one of their meal plans. So these are mix and match. You can have dessert if you want to. There's entrees and sides. Take your pick and head over to lifealive.com. Enter promo code TFL15 at checkout and that will give you 15% off your order. That's lifealive.com. Enter promo code TFL15. Uh, Evan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I mean, I'm good, all things considered. Where is where is Louie? Louie's with Heather at Mamala's, and I'll be running over there after this to retrieve him so she can actually get stuff done at work. Yeah, but yeah. As you know, with uh, he's like crawling and standing and like... Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's, it got uh, considerably more difficult in the last four months than it was when all he did was sleep and uh, chill. Yeah, once they're mobile, it's like a whole other, it's a whole other thing. So for people who, who don't know you, Evan, and I mean, who doesn't know you, uh, you are a partner at Mamala's and State Park and um, Cafe Dupay slash Vincent's Grocery. That is all correct. And I met you when I moved to Somerville in 2007, and you were a bartender at the Independent across the street from where I work. So I you've, been, you've been on the scene for a while. Um, obviously, I want to talk pandemic pivots and all of that, but can you give us just like a brief rundown of, of your background uh, at the Boston restaurant scene? Yeah. So I was um, I, 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 a career bartender, I suppose. So I, I started attending bar at the Independent in the mid-2000s in Somerville, and I've lived in Union Square, Somerville for, for 17 years up until last summer. Um, and then I, uh, after a few years in Union Square, I started bouncing around a little bit. So I worked out at Deep Ellum and learned a lot about beer and cocktails. Um, help open brick and mortar in Central Square with some old friends from the B side, and then was back in Somerville at Highland Kitchen for like four years. And during that time, we opened up State Park. I came on as a partner. We opened Mamala's, and then Cafe Du Pay, and then here I am. Yeah. So you guys have a lot going on because how many? Is it five partners? All day there are seven partners. Seven partners and how many? How many restaurants now? <laughs> so uh, we have three standalone restaurants, and then we have um, a, a stall at Timeout Market, 
Right. And then something else along those lines coming down the pipeline in the next six months or so, hopefully. Okay. Well, that's always exciting to hear about and new things now. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot to talk about, but I I am particularly interested in what you guys have done with Cafe to Pay, which is now Vincent's, because it just seems like such a great example of being super scrappy and knowing your customer, uh, and also it's such a cool nod to the space's history. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So we um like a couple years ago, I saw a sign outside of a bar, and it basically had like the history of the building. So I think it said like you know from eighteen whatever to nineteen thirty whatever. This used to be um, a grocery store, and then after that, it was a laundromat. And I just thought it was kind of cool that um, the they had this little plaque outside of the building. So I started talking to my business partner John Kesson about doing something similar at Cafe du Pay because I knew it had a storied history. And then his sister, who's a historian, started looking stuff up, and she was able to pick up a lot of really cool information about our space. Um, so we had kind of like already done a little bit of research about it, and then once we shut down for the lockdown back in March. Um, we started thinking about ways we could bring the space back to life. And we had always kind of joked about turning it into a corner store over the last couple of years. And then all of a sudden there were lines at the grocery store and people were freaked out to leave their houses and they didn't want to walk into any places. So it kind of seemed like a cool service that we could provide and also try to, you know, generate some money and pay some bills and kind of get back into the swing of things and feel things out. So for someone who hasn't been there, I mean, this is not just your typical corner like bodega tell me what you guys what you guys are serving so the idea was that we um while we were closed we had a bunch of uh you know we had a walk-in full of food back in march when we closed so we started just preserving things and making pickles and preserved lemons and jams and cocktail ingredients and stuff like that uh we had a bunch of charcuterie hanging that was only going to get better over the course of a few months we were dry aging steaks so when we opened we had so much cool stuff just because you know some things take a little bit of time or are get better with age or are designed to be preserved. And we also had a ton of inventory of wine and beer, which at the time we could we could sell, which is cool. Um, and uh, so the idea was that we would have pantry staples, dry goods, you know, things that every restaurant has on hand, but then we would have these sort of specialty items that could bring, you know, a little bit more oomph to whatever meals people were making at home. Because at that time there were no, there were a few, a small percentage of restaurants were still open for takeout and delivery, but you know, there was a lot that you really couldn't get around the house. Right. And how long like, were you in lockdown before the wheels started turning and you guys really flipped the space? I, um, I mean, I guess it was like week one um, was super weird, and I don't think I did any work. I think I had a tension headache the whole time, and my, I freaked out for about five, seven days. And then... Uh, I started coming into the space um, once we had cleaned stuff up and once we were done, you know, with this like clean out process of trying to get anything that could go bad, either donated or repurposed or distributed to friends or whatever. Um, I just started going in there every week to do like, you know, every, I think every restaurant owner has like a hundred page list of maintenance projects that they never get around to. So I was taking the opportunity to go in and touch up paint and, um, you know, fix uh, weird broken cabinets and stuff like that. Um, and then started rearranging some stuff. And we had um, the front room downstairs is something that's already transformed once or twice. And I kind of just cleaned it out and figured if we ever did anything, it was going to be in that room and the dining room wouldn't be open for a while. So after that, we just started kind of figuring out what we could do with that space and what would actually be useful and what might uh, pick up some steam. 
And and one thing that you didn't mention, Evan, although we were chit chatting about it in the beginning, and I don't know if it'll make it in the interview, is that you have a new baby, and your one of your business partners is your wife, Heather. Um, That's true. And like you guys were doing all this with a baby strapped to your chest and just like yeah. figuring it out. So <laughs> talk to me a little bit about what that has been like. Your family has, you know, moved um, and had a baby and running your businesses through a pandemic. And that's kind of a crazy thing. Yeah. So we, um, so Louie was born in um, November. So we, he was, uh, that would make him what, four months old whenever we shut down. So that, that was kind of cool because I mean, leading up to closing, it was already, you know, already kind of a hustle like the you know with heather running state park full-time and me running cafe de pay full-time passing this two-month-old back and forth all day was already a bit of a challenge that we were used to um so when we you know when we were reopening yeah there was a pack and play on the floor it was the two of us kind of taking turns who was gonna have him strapped to them running up and down the stairs um yeah i guess it was a lot i don't know yeah, I mean, you just kind of do it. It's like <laughs> yeah. all restaurant owners just do it, and then when you have a kid, that's like a whole other thing of like you just do it. But I think you're going to probably look back on this time and be like, "Well, how exactly did we do? <laughs> yeah. Did we do that?" Yeah, and now it's um, it's we're 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 now that we're open seven days at all three restaurants, and Heather and I are both back. It's a, even more interesting because it's yeah. kind of you know I can come in and do. Uh, some office stuff in a bank run with him and then I'll pass him off to her for the lunch rush and then I'll go pick him up 45 minutes later and there's like kind of this whole unofficial schedule of passing him back and forth but he gets to you know he gets to see a lot of action and charm a lot of people in the process so it's good for him I suppose that's that's awesome and I uh I want to also talk about State Park because it's back open I saw a picture of Heather behind the bar on Instagram yeah we um it's, it's it's funny we had um when we reopened, all three restaurants had all of their exterior spaces were completely under construction. So State Park's patio, Mamala's patio, Bar by the Elevator still um, fenced off. And then um, at Cafe du Pay, they dug up our whole street and demolished our sidewalks. So we, um, it's sort of Can been an ongoing. Yeah, it was that they actually started construction on that the day that we went into phase two where you'd be permitted to have outdoor dining. So the day that we um, were able to use our, our small patio at Cafe du Pay, they jackhammered our sidewalk into a, a pile of rubble. But, um, you know, so it goes. That's very 2020 coincidence there. <laughs> it's on um, brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, so it, we're open over there for outdoor uh, outdoor seating and takeout. And it's kind of like a slightly streamlined model that a lot of people are going for where you order at the counter and everything comes out to you and it's pretty minimal contact. And that way people can kind of, you know, enjoy being outside and not have to worry about the um, the awkwardness or discomfort of having people walking up to your table in close uh, right. circumstance all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, it's 2020. Like, obviously, all restaurant owners are going through some serious struggles. But you, the few times I've bumped into you and Heather uh, with masks on the street or whatever, and now you just seem to have such a positive attitude and, like, so much clarity right now. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how has this Where's your head been at through this whole process? And maybe where are you now compared to when you were having those tension headaches? Because at least today well, you seem like you're doing great. <laughs> um, I, I guess you've caught me on my good days. But um, I, I think it's um, obviously such a um, a comically terrible situation for restaurants to be in. Um, but I think we've also, for most of us who actually shut down and kind of like got to think back, we got to be um, a little retrospective about where we were 
where we were coming from, which was already kind of a terrible place. Like real estate in Boston is stupid. Rent is stupid. Taxes are stupid. Staffing's <laughs> miserable. There's not enough people to work here. There's no public transportation to get the people that want to work for us to us or home from work after we close. Um, and in order to make it work, like you kind of put too much, I mean, there are a lot of things that need to be fixed, like whether it's how restaurant staff get paid, the gap between front of house and back of house, um, how, what it is to be a restaurant owner and the responsibilities that we take. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for us was the fact that we were responsible for 40 people's health insurance when we shut down. Like that's a huge responsibility for a private citizen to have during a global pandemic. Um, so we kind of got to think a lot about all of that stuff. And, you know, we had had, you know, and Cafe du Pay being a corner bistro had already been a hustle. So when we got to the first quarter of 2020 and it was looking like it was going to be one of the one of the best quarters that we had, what it took to get there was working six and seven days a week for three years and taking 10 days for paternity leave and stuff like that. So shutting down, we kind of got to look back on that and think of this more as an opportunity to try to find some kind of model that was more sustainable in every single sense, whether it's our personal finances, whether it's the longevity of our business, longevity of people that we employ's status with us, that we can pay people better, we can keep them around longer and offer them more. So ultimately, it's an opportunity, but it's also, you know, a comically difficult challenge. <laughs> so Yeah. And when you say health insurance, I mean, that's not the only thing. When I when I showed up sort of in the middle of this and, and saw Heather with the baby, like you guys were packing up food to take to your employees. Um, yeah. And I think I'll, I feel like I want to talk about that because people, I don't know if they realize, um, you know, one, the horrible situation for people who either can't collect or just too afraid to collect. And then also the, you know, the heaviness as a business owner of feeling a responsibility for these people and wanting to help. Certainly. I mean, I think that we've, um, we, we've, tried to take care of our employees to the best of our ability always. So, um, you know, we have a revenue sharing program so that people have, who have historically had the lowest wages get a bump for percentage based on percentage of food sales. And we tried to build that into the company, um, in, in that way and in a lot of other ways. So, so whenever we had to furlough 135 people, I think it was, there were a good amount of them that either weren't in a good position or people who were in their household weren't in a good position. So, I mean, for a lot of families, like even if we were able to bring some people back, if they're partners or if their family members weren't able to be contributing um, financially to their households, they were still screwed. So um, we ultimately figured in the same sense that we tried to take our same purveyors and our same um, systems and just rework them to turn a restaurant into a grocery store, we also got on the internet and all those things that we were preserving at Cafe du Pay back in March, we were taking videos of them, posting them online with instructions and asking people to throw money in the tip jar. Um, and that tip jar ultimately became the seed money for um, an employee relief fund that's now, I think we've raised over $45,000. We've provided grocery boxes for 29 families for 22 weeks now. So um, that's kind of cool. It's a lot of work. And that n that number of families has now dwindled to like eight, which is really cool. But, um, you know, that's just, again... Uh, one of many challenges that people are facing. So like a lot of those people are back at work and there's a moratorium in evictions in Massachusetts, but all over the country, there's people trying to get back to work at restaurants that are soon going to be at risk of losing their houses too. Right, right. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, you had you said that you have had time to kind of rethink a lot of things and think about how things should change. Can you get into any specifics of like how, is there anything you can share with us like going forward 
that you are going to do differently or something that's sort of come out of this that we might see on the consumer facing side? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, one thing that you're seeing immediately is that a lot of our positions that were serving positions have turned into more, I guess, like counter-like positions. So it's less less table service. There's actually no table service at any of our restaurants right now just because um, gauging the comfort level of our staff and what's going on in other parts of the country where places open um, back to, you know, kind of the old normal. we are being super cautious about that, but it's also forcing us to rewrite job descriptions and kind of think about pay structures and kind of think about, you know, what goes into it. I mean, we have so many tipped minimum wage employees who are, you know, working on tips, but historically that's um, a very problematic system. And it's one that a lot of people can often benefit from. But right now, what, what uh, our experience is, is that it's kind of been easier to get people back to work who are hourly or salary as opposed to a tipped minimum wage because we can't guarantee that that money is there. Um, and, and I'm sure there's different versions of that story all over, just like there's always different versions of people with a tipped minimum wage. If you go to like, you know, a small town in Texas, the tip, people with the tipped minimum wage are barely making minimum minimum wage at all. Um, whereas here, you know, it's seen as kind of a good way to make quick money if you're, you know, a career restaurant person or if you're part-time going to school or whatever. Um, but ultimately, looking around at models all over the country, like there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of talk about you know Danny Meyer's restaurants and um, how they have tried to go to a service included model and then stepped back from it. But a big part of that is just, um, I mean, like I guess I can't really break it down to just one or two challenges. There's a lot of challenges with doing <laughs> yeah. that. But ultimately, what they've landed on is that the the, the step moving forward is actually going for um, you know a standardized minimum wage, but also the ability to share gratuity with everybody inside the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So that would, um, you know, while that changes the model and it seems really challenging and really scary for a lot of people, um, I do think that like at the very least it's worth thinking through and exploring how we can take these models and find something that's more sustainable for the business. So restaurants don't go out of business after two years um, as often as they do. Find things that are more sustainable for our staff who don't have to worry about the weather if their patio shift gets canceled or if there's a global pandemic and all of a sudden there's no... Um, you know, tipped positions or, you know, how many people in the city are working at restaurants and tipped positions and how many of these restaurants are going to close. I mean, ultimately those are jobs that simply aren't coming back. And that's something that we kind of have to um, contend with. So if we can find something that is, if we can find a model that is maybe um, more flexible, more equitable and like longer lasting, because this isn't going to snap back to normal anytime soon. Right. Right. So I, mean, I think that's a lot to take in, especially for the people that are immediately affected by it. But ultimately, that's something that we've been really trying to like take baby steps in growing because we want those steps to last. We don't want to say, all right, cool, let's try to make as much money right now during patio season. And then as soon as it gets cold on September 15th, we're just going to shut it down and try to figure out another model. Like I, like, I think I'd like to be a little bit more forward thinking than that. Yeah. That's really impressive that, you know, considering all of this, uh, you guys are able to be that thoughtful. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, how things, how you figure things out going forward. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about food. Um, yeah. Since we are happy that we can now, you know, visit and, and get food either to go or to sit on a patio. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what are you excited about right now, food and drink wise, at, at, at any and all of your spots? Well, I think at Vincent's, it's kind of fun because we had an opportunity to get away from, um, you know, we were doing New England sort of uh, Quebec-inspired French bistro kind of vibes. And um, 
when we opened up as a corner store, um, it was me and um, usually one of my business partners helping me out every day. And basically, we had a hot dog roller in the fryer, and we were doing poutine and hot dogs because that was something that we could prepare while we were also bagging up boxes of groceries for people. But we kind of stuck with that um, as we brought more and more staff back and kind of just thought about like cool corner store favorites and things that we could run all day. Our hours are from 11 a.m. until 8 p.m. now. So we kind of run one many the whole time. And uh, just sort of thinking about fun kind of uh, corner store or country store or bodega items or whatever. So we've done sort of New England clam shack thing. So oyster po' boys and um, uh, fried clam baskets, which has been fun. And that's like from, you know, John, who's a total New England guy. And then I uh, uh, push hard really early for a good breakfast sandwich because I grew up with corner stores where you pull over at a gas station, you go in and they have a griddle behind the counter and you can get, you know, your scratchies and your smokes and a sausage, egg and cheese. So we tried to, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that was back in Texas. And then also breakfast tacos we had to do because that was another thing where you have these sort of foiled wrap mysteries sitting on the counter (laughs) in a hot box. Um, So we tried to do like the best versions of those that we could do. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And as we're bringing more and more staff back, we're able to do dishes that have more components and more prep and um, kind of just trying to grow with it as we uh, you know, have more ability and can do things right. But um, it was kind of fun to kick things off with a sort of very lighthearted kind of tongue-in-cheek corner store sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't made it there yet, but it, like, today might have to be the day. <laughs> we'll be here. I haven't been since the the food element became a part of it. Yeah. Uh, and then I have to ask, is that chi- is that fried chicken sandwich still on the state park menu? Oh, no. The katsu? Yeah, 100%. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's good. And uh my husband who you know already was at Mamala's yesterday. Cool. Uh I feel like that was, you know, Mamala's was sort of made for a global pandemic. It seems like there must have not been too much you had to change with reopening Mamala's or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it, it, there there were some tweaks that we had to make, but that was one where we knew that the menu was sort of already well suited to that, um, and and also just all of our systems were kind of in place for takeout. So we did, um, you know, we did a fair amount of dine in at Mamalas, but we knew how to do takeout, and also having the outpost at Timeout Market, we already knew how to get food from Cambridge to Boston or wherever. So right. setting up systems for delivery and packaging and a lot of things that you don't necessarily think about, like. You know, at Cafe du Pay, the challenge was that we would borrow, we would borrow a sleeve of to-go boxes from State Park in January, and we wouldn't need to grab another one until the summertime. But um, now we order $500 worth of takeout containers every week, which is a lot. Mama has already had um, those systems in place and already kind of budgeted for that and pricing and th- those sorts of things. So um, now it's just a matter of uh, just getting, keeping up and getting the food to the people. Yeah, lots of details. Uh, well, that's that's kind of all I have for questions, but is there anything else that you want to, you know, share with us? Like, how can we best support you besides <laughs> eating your food? Um, I don't know. Anything else? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, the only thing that I would mention is that there's a few advocacy groups for restaurants, and I think it's really important to the um, the Mass Restaurant Association, MRA. We actually had them last week. I interviewed Tony oh, Moss and cool. Bessie King. Awesome. Yes. Very cool. And then uh, the... Uh, IRC, Independent Restaurant Coalition. Yes, which is sort of the the larger like national exactly. arm of that. And those, the, I, I think IRC in particular is like really pushing hard for kind of uh, restaurant specific financial help for a lot of mm-hmm. places. 
because I mean, I, I think that restaurant folks are are really good about painting a rosy picture. So you can go from like, you know, shutting down because of a public health crisis and all kinds of miserable things taking place, and then you can take a really colorful picture of Taco Tuesday and put it up on the gram. But um, we're not always good at advocating for ourselves, and um, I, I, yeah. I, I I think that. Uh, those places that are speaking out on our behalf are, are, are definitely very, very helpful and yeah. important right now. And we we don't want to over. I mean, as Tony was saying, like now is the time, right? Because if people were fortunate enough to get the PPP money, that's starting to run out. I think For it's sure. a little too easy to be like, oh, you know, enjoy summer. The numbers are looking better. I can get a cocktail, and it's like drinking champagne on the Titanic. And like, you know, yeah. we have to, we have to call <laughs> our reps and we have to pay attention if we want, you know, any of the good times to last. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Evan. Um, I'm going to like dash off to Vincent's right now and get a foil mystery wrap something. Wonderful. Uh, but thank you so much. See you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. I wanted to tell you about a really great personal care brand that we love called Curie. They've always had a deodorant that's aluminum-free that works really well that we adore, but they recently released a hand sanitizer that is super moisturizing and smells delicious. There's different scents like grapefruit or orange neroli or white tea. Uh, You have to check them out. So if you click a link in our show notes, you will get 20% off your order, or you can go to their website, curiebod.com. That's C-U-R. R-I-E-B-O-D.com and use the code TFL20 at checkout.